Open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27, and I'd like to make with you tonight a review of Bible friendship. And I trust it'll be to the profit of your souls, because a Bible friend, a godly friend, is a great gift from the Lord. Amen. And brethren, we have one in heaven waiting for us, and he's coming for us, and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But he's also got many brethren. He's the firstborn among them, but he's given us many friends based on his work to bring us all to himself as his children. Proverbs chapter 27, the last couple of weeks, has become very meaningful to me. My sons know about it because I have taught it to them and explained what kind of men fulfill it for them to remember it. But I want to read this verse to you. Proverbs 27 and verse 10. Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. Neither go into thy brother's house in the day of thy calamity. For better is a neighbor that is near than a brother far off. Thine own friend and thy father's friend don't forsake him. The lesson tonight is simple. When you have given to you godly, true friends, you want to keep them. They are very valuable things to have, and you want to keep them and not forsake them. Because in the day of calamity, they're worth a whole lot more than blood relation. A friend like I'm going to speak to you about tonight, and it is included in this verse, is better. Because a neighbor, a neighbor, a true friend, your father's friend, a trusted, true, and tried friend is better than blood relatives. Because blood relatives can be selfish, envious, and, do, and just forsake you in the hour of your greatest need, and the Bible is filled with examples of them. Right. But God sends friends where he's changed a man's heart so that men can be united together like they could never be just by a blood relationship, which really has no connection at all. Because the connection I'm talking about is the fear of the Lord and character. Because the fear of the Lord and character can make two men love each other that might be incompatible, and they would always be there for each other when a blood relationship will not guarantee that that's going to happen. Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not, and don't go into your brother's house in the day of your calamity, because a neighbor that is near, near in affection, near in commitment, near geographically maybe, is better than a brother that is distant in character, distant in commitment, and maybe distant geographically. A true friend is what I want to speak to you about tonight for a few minutes. A godly friend in the sense of this text is one of the greatest blessings that we can have. It's one of the greatest blessings he gives us on earth is to have friends like that. Now, so that you don't wonder, part of my goal tonight is for you to think about my brother and my sister up here, because my brother here is one of these friends to me, and I want all of you to know it, and I believe he is to you, and I don't want him to be forsaken, and I call this congregation to duty before the Lord God of heaven and his son Jesus Christ, that regardless of me you will not forsake this dear friend in the future. 
And if our sons outlive us, my sons know this, you will not forsake this dear friend, but you will remember him, and you will help him in his time of need. And his wife, who is my sister, and his daughter, who is my sister and daughter. Let me try to be brief. You know how I can summarize the text from Proverbs? I can go to 1824 where it says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. There's people that don't have any friends, and guess whose fault it is? Theirs. And you'd be amazed when you interview these people. They'll blame it on other people. But a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Proverbs 18.24 And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Proverbs 18.24 There are friends that can be far better than brothers because they stick closer. The whole verse can be summarized in those words. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Blood, what does it mean? You didn't ask for the brother or sister. The sister or brother didn't ask for you. So there's no tie. But when we're brought together by the blood of Jesus Christ and the love of truth and the pursuit of righteousness and holiness and the hope of the same eternal blessing, and we're brought together by the providence of God, and we see in each other those great attributes of the fear of God, the love of truth, the pursuit of holiness, and the hope of eternal life, that, my friends, is a foundation for a friendship. Because that person that, that has those things true about them will be there forever for you. A brother is born for adversity, and a friend loveth at all times. That's the kind of friendship that we're talking about tonight. True and tried friends of character and principle, what I mean is godly friends, excel brothers. Relationship ought to be a close bond, but it isn't. Think about the Bible with me for a moment. Joseph found far greater kindness from captors in Egypt than he did his own brothers. Far greater kindness and commitment and fairness and equity than he did from his own brothers. David found far greater love and loyalty from Jonathan, who should have hated David, than he did his own brothers. David had a great family, a large family also. Last night, reading 1 Samuel 17, it just irritated me again how David showed up on the battlefield. He sees this champion of the Philistines come down and defy the armies of God. And he says, what's the king going to do for the man that kills this blasphemer? And his older brother comes over and says, you're just down here for the uh, pride of your, the, the, the pride that you've got. In, these are the words, the pride that you have inside you and the naughtiness of your heart. Here comes his little brother. His little brother wants to do what's right. His little brother is offended at the uncircumcised Philistine blaspheming God and simply asks a question. There's a great reward and we've got a blasphemer to kill. You mean we're actually going to get paid for killing a blasphemer? That's all he said. It was just a question. And his brother accused him of pride and naughtiness of his heart out of envy. Judging motives of another person who is trying to do what's right. Guess how many times we read about Eliab after that? How many times do you think we read about Eliab? Never again. He was a nobody and he was a loser. And his little brother, David, came and did the job by taking out the giant Goliath. And do you know who became his best friend? Jonathan, the son of the existing king, who should have been the rightful heir to the throne. He loved David as he loved his own soul. 
1 Samuel 18, the first three verses. 1 Samuel chapter 20 and all the covenants they made, which we'll look at in just a second maybe. Look at David got so much more affection from Jonathan than he did his own brothers. You know, after David killed Goliath, he came back. Who was his friend? Jonathan. Who helped him when he was running from, from King Saul? Jonathan. Where were his brothers? What a disgrace. What wonderful friendship David and Jonathan had. David found far greater service from soldiers who were vagabonds in Israel than he did his own brothers. Do you know that one time David was holed up in a cave? Saul was chasing him and had him surrounded and he was in a cave. And he's sitting in that cave and the Philistines have control of Bethlehem. And he's sitting in the cave and he says, I wish for the old times that I could have a little of that water from the well at Bethlehem. Do you remember how good it was? That water from the well in Bethlehem was so good. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Brethren, there's chapters in your Bible that are nothing but lists of the great accomplishments of great men. And chapters 2 Samuel 21 through 23 are those kind of chapters. But do you know what happened? Three men snuck out the back door. Three of his great friends snuck out the back door. They went and took on a garrison of the Philistines to get to the well of Bethlehem, got a bucket of water out of the well, brought it back to David into that cave. And when he saw it, he would not drink of it. But he poured it out and he told the Lord, how can I drink the blood of my friends who risked their lives to bring me a drink from that well? That is a godly friend. Amen. That is a godly friend. May God bless us with friends like that based on the blood of Jesus Christ and not to forsake those kind of friends and to build that kind of friendship in this church. David found that kind of service from vagabonds that came and joined themselves to, to, to him while he was running from King Saul. They treated him like that while King Saul's trying to kill him. Do you know how David would have served King Saul? King Saul could have retired right. if he had just assigned David the kingdom. David would have done anything for Saul. A thousand men, David would have been content. Ten thousand, content. Just play your harp for me. He'd have been content. David knew his position. Saul could have used him, but Saul envied him because he was seeking to obey the Lord, and the Lord was with him, and the Lord was not with Saul. Jesus. Jesus had a large family. Don't you ever forget that. Don't you let Catholics tell you that Jesus didn't have any brothers and sisters. He had a large family. But I want to tell you, the Passover was primarily a family meal. But do you know what the Bible says in Luke chapter 22? Jesus sat down with fishermen, and they were laying on him, my brethren, They were laying on him so close, they wanted to be so close to the Savior. And he said in one of the touching verses of the Bible, with great desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. He did not have a family to eat it with because they did not believe on him. But he had disciples that were friends that had stuck with him for three and a half years that he did eat it with. These kind of friends are more valuable than brothers and they ought to be cultivated and kept. Now, do you know what it's a blessing in our church? We have some double brothers. That ought to be pretty special. Double brothers. Christian friends are built on a better foundation. They're built on the foundation that Jesus Christ died for both of us. And he chose both of us out of this world. 
And he's given us a hope of eternal life and we're going to both be in heaven. And we both love the word of God because he's, both rege- he's regenerated both of our hearts. And we're both pursuing holiness. It's a wonderful foundation for friendship. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 13 where I can show you how the Lord understands that there are very close friends that occur in this world by his providence. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 6, If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, now there's natural relationships, or the wife of thy bosom, there is your marital relationship, or thy friend, now look at the description of friend, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul. Entice thee secretly. Here the the, the warning of the Lord is, no matter how good that friend is, if they entice you away from the word of God, you're not to have anything to do with them. In fact, you're to kill them. But notice, the, the point I'm going into this verse for is that there is a friend which is as thine own soul. Now come over to 1 Samuel 18, and let's read about David and Jonathan. They're the example that God's chosen to give us of two people that he brought together that had kindred hearts and loved the Lord in a way that there are, there's seldom been, men that have come together like this. But it's in the Bible for our encouragement. Right. Now, 1 Samuel 17 is how David killed Goliath. It's a long chapter, and you get down to the end of the chapter, and Saul said to his, his man of war and the captain of the host, Abner, he said, who was this stripling that just killed Goliath? He should have remembered. He had played the harp for him sometime before, but he didn't remember him. There must be too many people in a king's court for him to remember the individuals. And David was so modest, he didn't put himself forward, so he might not have remembered him. He says, who is this stripling? And so they have to bring David forward, and they ask him who he is. Verse 58, last verse. Saul said to him, whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I'm David. I just killed Goliath. Where's the reward money? I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now that's a modest statement for a man that's holding Goliath's head in his hand. Read it. He's holding Goliath's head in his hand, and he's asked who he is. He doesn't claim the reward. He doesn't even give his name. He just says, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Saul's son is standing there observing this conversation. Look what it says about him in the first verse of chapter 18. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. There's the kind of friendship I'm talking about. Because Jonathan saw in David this modesty and graciousness and cur- What a combination in a man in just a matter of hours. He's come down to the battlefield, and he wants to take on Goliath because he trusts in the living God. And he kills Goliath. And he brings the head back, dangling in his hand, but he's not boasting about it. He doesn't even give his name. What a combination of boldness, courage, humility, modesty, and graciousness. And here's this king's son who has seen the best people in Israel watching. And look what it says. That little conversation between Saul and David, Jonathan, Saul's son, who is the next in line for the throne of Israel, loves David as his own soul. Verse 2, And Saul took him, that is David, that day, and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant. What? Already? 
Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and his bow and to his girdle. What kind of clothing was, jo- was Jonathan arrayed in? Princely. Princely. Royal. He took it all off, best sword, best girdle, best of everything, and gave it to David and made a covenant with him. Do you know what the terms of those covenant, that covenant was? Jonathan, next in line to be king, to David, when you're king and God destroys all your enemies before your face, will you let me be your right-hand man? Does that, does that make your heart burst with effect? There are people in the world like that. Do you know, do you know where they came from? The special creation of God. The brethren, we're all creatures of God. And we're all special creations of God. We ought to have a character like that. And I know there are lots of good friendships in this church. And we have a lot of deep affection for one another in this church. But I want to provoke you tonight. And I want to thank the, I want to thank the Lord for friends. I want to provoke you to be better friends. I want to provoke you to keep Proverbs 27.10. And that's not to forsake your friends nor your father's friends. And the point being from that verse, true, godly, tested friends. Not just casual acquaintances or friendship based on the world or anything else. Look at chapter 20 about Jonathan and David. This is, uh, this is a long passage here. I'm just going to look at verse 17 because all I want you to see right here is loving him as his own soul. Jonathan gave up his own career for David to have it. First Samuel 20 and verse 17, And Jonathan caused David to swear again. They've just made another covenant together. And David swore once, but Jonathan loved hearing David swear so much to him that he made him do it again, just for the pleasant music in his ears. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. With those two with their backs to each other, what army was too big? Jonathan and David. There would have been no army too big for these two. And what kind of worship service would they have led? David dancing with all his might before the Lord? Jonathan appreciating all the same things? It's wonderful. It's wonderful, brethren. Let me see if I can show you a few things. Saul wants to kill David because he's envious of David, because he feels threatened by David, because David (laughs) behaves himself in a perfect way and Saul can't stand it. Saul knows the Lord has left him. Saul sees David behaving himself very favorably. The popularity polls are all in favor of David. The song of the nation right now, the top hit in Israel was, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. That doesn't go over well when the radio blares out with that when Saul's on his way to work in the morning. And so he tries to kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's own son, defies his father. Because he's already made a choice. David's a better man than his father. David's righteous and his father is not. And so he violates what is a blood bond in order to pursue the friendship based on godliness and righteousness. And it's, and it's all, there's a long exchange between them in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And David is saying to Jonathan in the first nine verses that I need help. 
Your father is out to kill me, and I feel that I am one step from death. And I need help, and who's going to help me? And if, I, if there's any sin in me that justifies your father doing this, then you kill me right now instead of taking me back to your father. And Jonathan says to him, verse 9, Far be it from thee, for I knew certainly that evil were determined by my father to come upon thee. Then would not I tell it thee? Then said David to Jonathan, Who shall tell me? Or what if thy father answer thee roughly? And Jonathan said unto David, Come, and let us go out into the field. And they went out both of them into the field. Please follow this. Jonathan and David are out in a field, these two men. And Jonathan said unto David, Please follow your Bibles. Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I have sounded my father about tomorrow any time or the third day, and behold, if there be good toward David, and I then send not unto thee, and showeth thee, the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do thee evil, then I will show it thee, and send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace, and the Lord be with thee, as he hath been with my father. And thou shalt not only, while I, yet I live, show me the kindness of the Lord, that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one, from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And David had to swear to it twice, because Jonathan said, This isn't just for our lifetime, it's for our children's lifetime. I will tell you if my father is trying to kill you, and I will tell you if you have peace again in the kingdom. And if I don't tell you, then the Lord do so to me. Jonathan swore to the Lord, but he was speaking to David. Did you see the words as he shifted from the pronouns directing its, the prayer to God to David? He promised that he would be David's friend against his own father. May the Lord be praised that in this life there are people that value the relationship with God more than they value the relationship with family. Right. And Jonathan and David were two of those. David's family's forsaken him, and Jonathan's family's forsaken him because they're all just happy with each other, but these two are happy with the Lord. And they're great men in the Bible. And they're given to us as an example of great friendship. Look at chapter 23, about what kind of friendship they had. I'm going to start at verse 14. 1 Samuel 23, 14, And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds, and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. And that also Saul my father knoweth. And they too made a covenant before the Lord, and David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. Is that, is that precious? Is that precious? His father is chasing David every day. And David is holed up in a stronghold in the wood, and Jonathan goes to him and makes a covenant with him again and strengthens his hand in God, encourages him in godliness, and that is true friendship. There is no other friendship that matters. 
Right. It's friendship based on godliness. Amen. Strengthening our hands in God. And what an asset we can be to one another to strengthen each other in doing the godly thing, especially when it's hard. Amen. There is no other relationship that matters. Right. Sentimentality is from Satan, not from God. Right. Godliness is from God. We are first pure, then peaceable. We want to have friends that are based on righteousness and that will speak to us openly when we're not pursuing righteousness. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Right. You want a friend that will openly tell you when you're doing something wrong, that is wrong. We can't do that. You shouldn't do that. Rather than just enjoying a good time and never rebuking you, that's secret love. It's no love at all. It's the ruin of friendship. If we would all love each other and tell each other when we're wrong, we can be great and mighty men of valor and mighty women in the earth for the glory of God, not for our praise, but for the glory of God. If we can be like this, he strengthened his hand in God. Do you know how afraid he was? Go read chapter 20. He says, I am one step from death all the time. Do you know what it'd be like to live one step from death all the time? But Jonathan strengthened his hand in God. And listen to Jonathan's words. I know that you're going to be king. I know that God's going to deliver you from my father. And I'm glad he's going to deliver you. And when you're king, I want to be at your right hand. Then they made another covenant. They loved each other. You know how great the friendship was? This is where we take the word of God and we love it just the way it's written. And we let these evil people today who read the scriptures and try to use it for their own profane ends, they'll have their day. David in 2 Samuel chapter 1, David in 2 Samuel chapter 1 describes the love of Jonathan and what it meant to him. Saul and Jonathan are killed by the Philistines on the battlefield. And David cries out, in verses 17 through the end of the chapter, a song of grief from his heart about the death of Saul and Jonathan. But look what he says in verse 26. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. And so profane sodomites in our day and time come along and find a verse like that and think that it's describing a, a homosexual relationship between Jonathan and David. Those profane perverts, they're going to wake up one of these days real shortly and they're going to be in hell. <laughs> then they can think about their misuse of this text. Right, I want to tell you something about when you have two men of the character level of these two, it does exceed the love of women. And I don't mean any harm by that statement. It's in the scriptures. Because these are two that aren't, one of them is not the weaker vessel. Two of these are the stronger vessel. And they both love God with their whole heart. And they love each other as their own soul. And they have helped each other through great adversity and affliction. And this is what David had to say about him. And David was a man after God's own heart. I don't fault the, the, the lamentation of David in these verses whatsoever. Right. And you know what? Saul, Jonathan died this day. And you can go to chapter 9. And you can go to chapter 21. And David sits in his house and he says... Who is left of all the relatives of Saul? Right. And they tell him, and he says, Oh, no, the relatives of Jonathan is what I'm looking for. And they say, Well, there's this crippled kid. His name's Mephibosheth. There is? There is one? And he's a cripple? I want him at my table. Right. 
And Mephibosheth ate at the table of David. You can read it in chapter 9 and the first verse, and you can read it in chapter 21. Mephibosheth ate at the table of David because of the covenant that David and Jonathan had made that it was for their seed also. And that's what I started out this sermon with by calling on this congregation to remember a brother that's going away from us. The Lord's going to give him a new congregation and a new body. But brother, the Lord puts you here for 20-some years, and we're going to uphold Bible friendship. And you are going to uphold it whether I'm here or not. Remember our brother and let's not forsake him. I want him to go up there knowing that he's got a great group of friends down here that will pray for him and help him in any time of need. Amen. Like David was helped. Oh, brethren, good friends are so valuable. David died. Solomon knows that it's his responsibility to build the temple. One of David's best friends was Hiram, king of Tyre. King of Tyre. That's a rich man. He loved David. I got to show you. You don't think that a pagan king can love David? Listen, if you're living right, you can grow in favor with God and men. And David, oh, David had more enemies than anyone, but he grew in favor with good men. Who cares about enemies? They've got wicked hearts. They can't love anything but wickedness. I want you to see about Hiram. 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. Oh, it's a long passage. It's 1 Kings chapter 5. 1 Kings chapter 5. Hiram, king of Tyre, for thine own friend, thine own friend and thy father's friend, forsake not. That just doesn't mean because he was a family buddy. That means a true and tried and tested friendship of godly character and value. Don't lose those kind of friends. They're worth more than family. Hiram, king of Tyre, verse 1, 1 Kings 5, sent his servants unto Solomon, for he had heard that they had anointed him king in the room of his father. For Hiram was ever a lover of David. Is that precious? A foreign king was ever a lover of David. I don't have time to preach very much tonight about this. I just want to, here's the, here's the key. Do you want to have friends like Jonathan that have the character of David? That's all it takes. Because when the Jonathans come along, they will see the character of David and they will love you. And so how do you do that? You serve the Lord with your whole heart. Right. You pursue holiness. You live with the hope of eternal life. You love the Word of God and you stand on it and you don't care about sentimentality. You won't compromise truth. And if you live that way, when there's another soul that has that kind of godly character, they will love you because the character matches up. And it's so rare in this earth. And it is so rare in the churches of Christ. And it's so rare in Israel. Why wasn't the whole nation out there with David? They all knew he was being unjustly treated because it's easier to stay at home and have a peaceful, sentimental little family. But Jonathan went to David in the wood. And Hiram, king of Tyre, loved David the same way. And look what Hiram sends to Solomon. Verse 2, And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, Thou knowest how that David my father could not build a house unto the name of the Lord his God. I'm going to summarize it for you. He says, You know, David couldn't build a house because he was always fighting. God's taken away my enemies, and it's my time to build. There's no one in all the earth that can hew cedar like the Zidonians. Will you help me? I'll pay you anything you want. Hiram sends back and says, You David's son? 
you get out there to the Mediterranean Sea and see what kind of float comes down from Lebanon. That's what he said. It's a, it's a fantastic passage. He cut down the best cedar trees in his whole kingdom and put them out in the Mediterranean Sea and floated them down for David to pick up. And he said, I'll have a bunch of men there to help you get them out of the water. All I ask for is take me out to dinner for the rest of my life. So David fed the king of Tyre. Solomon fed the king of Tyre for the rest of his life. You can read about it here. Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. The king of Tyre had helped David and loved David for his char- character. When he was alive and when David died, Solomon pursued that relationship and it helped build the temple. Do you know there is Zidonian cedars in the temple of God? Because Proverbs 27.10 was practiced. But listen, Solomon wrote Proverbs 27.10 and he knew how to practice it. His son came along, Rehoboam. Now Solomon has died. Solomon had counselors. Can you imagine the, the wisdom level of a counselor of Solomon? Wow. How do you even apply for the job? I mean, what, what in the world do you have on your resume to become a counselor for Solomon? But he had them. And now Solomon is dead, and Rehoboam has the kingdom before him. And he goes in and talks to Solomon's counselors, his father's friends. And they give him advice. They say, you know, your father did tax a lot because he built so many things in his reign. If you'll relax the taxation just a little bit and if you'll speak gently to them, instead of we have a new tax increase like they've heard from your father for 40 years, if you'll just speak gently to them, they will serve you forever. Well, he thought about that. Then he said, call in the Harvard MBAs. Hire me 20 Harvard MBAs because I want to listen to their advice. And they said, listen, buddy. The cash flow last year was $40 million a month. If we tax them a little bit more and we have these programs and we implement a lottery, we can get that up to $50 million a month. What do you think of that? These people, what are they good for? All they are is commoners anyway. Man, they've only got high school diplomas. Let's pound them. Let's get the $50 million a month out of them. And Rehoboam forsook his father's counselors and listened to the young men, and he lost the kingdom in three days. Three days, the kingdom was gone. All the tribes left. And you ought to read it in 1 Kings chapter 12. He sent his tax collector over to those ten tribes, thinking that he could still get the revenue that, they want, that, that his father had. They stoned him to death. That's forsaking father's friend. A true friend loveth at all times, and that's what you want to find, and that's what you want to be. If you're, if you're that kind of a friend, you will find that kind of a friend. How did David gain the friendship of Jonathan? Was he slick? He wasn't slick at all. He just feared God with his whole heart. And he loved God's worship. And he loved God's name. And he wasn't afraid of enemies. He wasn't afraid of Goliath. But he was modest. He wasn't trying to put himself forward. But someone would say, hold on. Someone would say, by just showing up on the battlefield, he had pride. His oldest brother, Eliab, just showing up on the battlefield, let alone killing the giant, let alone hauling his head back to Jerusalem. Now that's just a show of pride, isn't it? No, it wasn't. He had cut the head off of God's enemy, and no one else would do it. But Eliab, 
his physical brother called it pride, Eliab didn't have the spiritual understanding of a gnat because he didn't know God and his heart was sold to Satan. Jonathan stood there who had a heart. Remember, Jonathan is the man who one day was bored. And I told you all this just a few weeks ago. He went and took on a garrison of the Philistines with just his armor bearer. Do you know what he said? It doesn't matter to the Lord whether we be many or few. You want to go have some fun. And so they went and took on the Philistines. That was Jonathan's character. Jonathan is standing there. Here's a very simple exchange. No name, no reward, no boasting, just I am the son of thy servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. Jonathan falls in love with him. Do you understand that? It's character. It's pure character. Jonathan, who loves God and fears God and is looking for other men that, that love God and fear God, sees in David a very unique, unusual person. Because his father was not that way. His father could have been. But his father was not that way. That is how friendships built, are built. Look at Psalm 119 and verse 63. Here's how David made his friends. Psalm 119 and verse 63. David didn't manipulate anyone. David didn't um, take advantage of anyone. David didn't do anything to win friends. David just pleased the Lord at all times. And what kind of friends will you get when you're pleasing the Lord at all times? Godly, Godly friends. Right. What kind of enemies will you get? You will get many. Because most of this world hates true godly men and women. And David had them. Psalm 119, verse 63, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Because there's a godly man. He is going to choose to be around other godly men. That was David's character. That was Jonathan's character. Look at Psalm 101. Psalm 101. There's no little list of rules on how to make a friend like Jonathan and David. It's simple. Seek the Lord and delight in Him like David did. The only people that will be attracted to you are people like Jonathan. The rest are going to envy you like Saul and try to kill you like everyone else and, and, call, and accuse you of being proud like his brother and accuse you of having a naughty heart like his brother. I, I, I love not being able to read one more sentence about Eliab in the entire Bible and to read about David from that point all the way to the last chapter of Revelation because Jesus is the son of David. Amen. Because God and our Lord Jesus Christ defended David and his character. He was a man after God's own heart. Look at, look at Psalm 101. We've read this before. Do you remember this part of it? Verse 4. Well, you know verse 3. It's about television, remember? Amen. Verse 4 is about friendship. A froward heart shall depart from me. David would not put up with anyone around him that was bold to speak and couldn't shut their mouth and be modest. A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart, will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. That was David's character. It didn't matter to him who they were, if they were blood ties or not. He wasn't going to put up with anyone that slandered his neighbor, that told lies, or was a froward heart. He was through with them. 
his, his qualifications for friendship were pure godliness. And because of that, his, his character was godly. And Jonathan saw that, and the two of them were two of the great friends in the Bible. The blood of Jesus Christ, my brothers and sisters, provides an instantaneous bond greater than any human blood. That's why I've said blood is thicker than blood. Do you remember 2 Kings chapter 10? Verses 15 and 16. Jehu is in a chariot. He's just been commissioned by God to go and judge the two kings of Judah and Israel. And he is going there in a hurry. But he sees a man in the way. A man who's also known in that nation for being a lover of righteousness and fearing God. His name is Jehonadab. And he has his own chapter in the Bible. It's Jeremiah 35. Jehu is flying to do the will of God, and he sees Jehonadab, and he rips that chariot to a stop, slams on the binders, burns up some bendix, and there he meets Jehonadab, and he says, Is your heart right, as my heart is with thine heart? Yes, it is. Then give me your hand and get up here. And he pulls Jehonadab up into that chariot, and he says, Let me show you my zeal for the Lord. Now listen, you put those two men back to back. Show me the size of the army that can take them. Do you know what Jehu did to two kings in the next five minutes? It's, an un- it's unbelievable. And God said he did everything that pleased me well in my eyes. Jehu did it with zeal. And Jehonadab was right there with him. There are two men. What did they know about each other? Why did they say, is thine heart right as my heart is with thine heart? Character. The fear of God. The love of God. And the love of righteousness. And the hatred of Ahab's house. That's what made their hearts together. It wasn't, are we still good pals? Can we still play together in the same sandbox? It was the fear of the Lord. And they went, and for two chapters, chapters 9 and 10 of 2 Kings, they turned the nation upside down. And they had a revival the old-fashioned way. They started out with a service for Baal. Remember? I'm just trying to jog your memories. They had a revival the old-fashioned way. Let's get all the worshipers of Baal together. Those were great men. We don't have very many men like that anymore in the earth. It's, but there are some. My point's simple tonight. There's more. I spent many hours. But all I want to get across is great friends that value righteousness and godliness more than sentimentality and family are invaluable. Don't forsake them. We have a brother here who left his family and a sister here who left their families. I know this church knows. They are the friend of Proverbs 27.10, and we are not going to forsake them. And I want them to know as they leave that we are not going to forsake them, not me or my family. I want you to know that there are men like this in the earth, but they're rare. And I want to appeal to every man in here who fears God in his heart to be one of these men. Together. The Bible says two are better than one, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Jesus comes back. There can be a church of righteous people waiting for him that will not be ashamed at his coming and that he can take great pleasure in. Alone, when we fall, who can help us up? When enemies come, who will fight with us? Together, a threefold cord cannot quickly be broken. I've just tried to provoke you tonight with this verse. Don't forsake good, godly friends. Build them. 
promote that friendship. Seek out those kind of men that fear God. God did something 22 years ago in January of 1980. I was flown down here by Stuart Crane to come to a seminar. After that seminar, two southern boys took me to lunch at a little submarine sandwich dive on Pleasantburg Road across from what is now Cherrydale Point. They were Jim Edwards and New Eastland. How's that for a little Benny for coming down here in an airplane for a weekend seminar? The providence of God. Similar ages. The Lord dealt with us in our lives all at the same time, bringing us to a tr- the truth. We sat there that day eating Italian submarine sandwiches. I didn't know where I was. I could have been in Georgia or Tennessee. I was, listen, if they'd have turned me around a half a time and said, find the car, I was lost. I didn't know where I was. These were total strangers to me. We sat there at that dinner table eating submarine sandwiches, and we realized that we loved a sovereign God, that we loved the kind of things I just said to you here and that I preach to you all the time, that the pursuit of holiness was the most important thing in our lives, that God had chosen us and didn't we owe him our lives. And we've been friends since that day. And one-third of us is going to Michigan. But we have email. And we have phones. And we have calling cards. And we have other means. And I hope all of you understand that. Amen. And a sister. Do you all understand that she has sisters? Blood sisters. Do you all understand that our brother excluded his own sister in the history of this congregation? I just want them to know they have friends. You don't have to worry about it. You're too young. We'll tell you later. I want you not to forsake these, and I want you to help them. Brethren, I'm not going to be here next Sunday. You're going to be here, and he's going to commune with you for the last time. And before God, I want him to know that he's going up there, and we are his friends, and we will stand by him no matter what happens in that place. I want to exhort all of you. I know, I know most of your hearts in here. I think, I think this little church is the, it's the greatest church I've ever seen, and I've seen many churches with friendships that are tight based on the fear of God and the love of the Word of God and the pursuit of righteousness and the hatred of compromise and now the hatred of carnal Christianity and the hope of everlasting life. But we need to build it further and love each other more and be committed to one another and value godliness far more than any other criteria for relationships. There is no other criteria. It is godliness. Anyone else will betray you, and it is based on shifting sand. It is based on selfishness. Sentimentality is just another word for spelling selfish. Right. Because relationships should be built on God and him having put two people together according to his word. And for us, helping each other be faithful to that word until Jesus comes. That is the purpose of the New Testament church, is to help one another hold fast and be faithful till Jesus Christ returns. Brothers and sisters in Christ are brought together by God's grace and his providence. And the resulting relationships should be the most precious of our lives. You know, I can look around this room and I know where you had to leave family, and now you're an oddball. Now you're different. I, I can just reel through this room, and I know that. 
But we've got one another, brethren. And when the blood of Jesus Christ is thicker than human blood, human blood doesn't mean anything anyway, except that you had the same parents. So, let's talk about our parents. I'm talking about God, our Father in heaven, who's adopted us. And in just a few years, all these earthly relationships end anyway, and we have an everlasting relationship of our brothers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to bring a sword on earth, brethren. He did not come to unite families. He made a prophecy in Matthew chapter 10. I did not come to bring peace on earth. I came to bring a sword. I came to put that sword deep into the families. I came here to cut families apart and to turn parents against their children and brother against brother and sister against sister. That's Matthew chapter 10. But do you know what he did to comfort us in that? He gave us one another. Peter said one time, Lord, we have forsaken all to follow thee. And Jesus said, really? Really, you've forsaken houses, lands, father, mother, brother, sister to follow me? You really have? If you'll follow me, you'll have a hundredfold more houses, lands, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers in this life. And in the life to come, you'll have everlasting life. Amen. You're never the loser following the Lord. Right. Oh, sometimes we look at our family relationships and we think, if I take a stand for God, I'm going to lose that. Oh, if you take a stand for that family relationship, you lose everything, including the family relationship. Because what is a family relationship not based on godliness? Right. Right. Do you remember this morning? That verse was given to me by God, the last verse of Psalm 34 was given to me, my God, before I was ordained, when I had a very crushing fear of being left desolate in the earth for holding fast to God's word. A night I spent on the floor before my God, begging him to save me from being desolate in the earth, though I would, for the sake of the sovereignty of God. And the last verse is, them that put their trust in me. What does it say? I will not leave desolate. And he's given me so many good friends. And brethren, he's given you so many good friends. This isn't about Jonathan Crosby. It's about you. We're blessed to be in a church like this. We're blessed to have loving brothers and sisters. I want you to remember these, but I want you to remember all of these. And may the Lord bless us to be like Jonathan and David. May we love him and seek him and help one another. Live for him every day. So that when Jesus Christ comes... He'll be the firstborn because we're all ready to praise him, aren't we? But he's going to be the firstborn among many brethren that are waiting for him. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.